What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Law enforcement in this country kills approximately 1,200 people every single year, and yet the names of many are never said or known except to their family and friends and immediate community. What's more, law enforcement agencies and other state actors harm our community in a myriad of ways that also go unnoticed, like racial profiling, sexually assaulting, and wrongfully incarcerating our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So every week on Law Disorder, we are going to do a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of October 17th, 2022. Aw, the terror of the Brooke Jenkins reign continues, but the people are pushing back. Tomorrow, Thursday, October 20th at 10 o'clock a.m., the families of police shooting victims Keita O'Neill and Luis Gongora-Pat will host a press conference and rally outside D.A. Brooke Jenkins' office to demand that she follow through with the prosecution of the San Francisco Police Department officers who murdered O'Neill and Gongora-Pat, prosecution that was started by San Francisco District Attorney Tessa Boudin, who was recalled earlier this year. The families will be joined by community groups and police accountability advocates, including the ACLU of Northern California, Anti-Police Terror Project, San Francisco Rising, Reimagine Youth Justice Coalition, and Coalition on Homelessness. The families are calling on DA Jenkins to prosecute the two SFPD officers who killed O'Neill and Gungora Pat in 2017 and 2016, respectively. Since assuming her role as interim district attorney, remember, she is appointed, not elected, Jenkins has dragged her feet on prosecuting several police misconduct and use of force cases recently, telling Keita O'Neill's family that the case would be delayed until after the November election. Imagine that. She has also continually delayed the process of bringing charges against the officer who killed Gungora Pat in 2017. Rookie cop Chris Samoya shot the unarmed O'Neill, and in November 2020, D.A. Tessa Boudin filed felony criminal charges against him for voluntary and involuntary manslaughter, excessive force, and assault with a firearm. In 2016, San Francisco police officers Michael Malone and Nate Steger shot and killed Gungora Pat, who was unhoused and an immigrant in the Mission neighborhood. Jenkins subsequently terminated or demoted the attorneys who were working on these cases to the shock and anger of the victims' families and community at large, by the by. But likely, this is just an assumption on my part, at the behest of San Francisco Mayor London Breed, who seems to be running both the district attorney's office and, in theory, at least her own the press conference again is tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning in front of the San Francisco District Attorney's Office. That's 350 Rhode Island. The organizers are asking folks to join them on the Kansas Street side of the building between 16th and 17th Street. Many questions remain about the shooting of Samuel Vincent Richmond last Monday at Martin Luther King Jr. Park in Peoria, Illinois. The Peoria Police Department has turned over the investigation to the Illinois State Police per state law, and the agencies have declined to answer questions from media. It's been Peoria Police policy that all officers who are on the street in a patrol capacity have a body camera. When journalists asked police if body cameras were on and if they recorded, Simone Roth, a police spokeswoman, said, quote, this is an open investigation by ISP. Peoria Police has no comment, end quote. Source, Andy Kravitz, the Journal Star. I want to remind folks that body cameras aren't the answer. First of all, they only show the perspective of the cop, not the person the cop is engaging, let alone the person that the cop is abusing. Second of all, for the most part, officers can turn them on and off at their discretion and whim. And third of all, time after time, police commissions, district attorneys, juries, and judges look right at the tape and declare the police murder, beating, or racial profiling justified and within department policies. You cannot dismantle the master's house using the master's tools. 
Police reform advocates are organizing a statewide task force they say will provide more officer oversight and make recommendations to address law enforcement interactions with the public. Advocates from Aurora and Denver, Colorado, held a press conference last week to call attention to several recent police shootings and announced plans for a task force to bring voices together from across the state. Robert Davis, project coordinator for an existing task force in Denver that last year issued 112 recommendations for police, said the new group will help unify work across cities and counties. The NAACP and ACLU local chapters are partnering to launch the new task force. Davis said the public should expect the group to make recommendations and issue demands for changes to police departments. Activists also called on Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser's office, the state agency responsible for law enforcement oversight, to make it easier to find information about officers who have been charged with felony crimes. The Denver Metro has witnessed multiple police shootings in recent weeks, including three in just one weekend in October. One, two Aurora police officers fatally shot an armed man on an RTD bus. Two, Boulder officers shot and injured a person following a disturbance call in the University Hill area on last Sunday morning. And three, Aurora police shot and killed a man near Denver International Airport on Saturday. Source, Esteban Hernandez, the Axios Denver. Otherwise, Denver is also home to one of the nation's newest exciting non-police mental health response teams, the STAR program. You can check them out by visiting denvergov.org. University of Illinois researchers published a new database on police use of force across the state. The Spotlight Database, short for Systemic Policing Oversight Through Lethal Force Incident Tracking Environment, mouthful, includes twice as many incidents as Illinois police previously reported. While Illinois State Police reported using lethal force against civilians 39 times, in 2020, the researchers found and verified 94 instances. The researchers used news reports and existing databases to compile a fuller picture of times when police shot someone or otherwise used lethal force. The database includes both people who died and those who survived. The Spotlight team identified 694 cases where Illinois police shot a firearm or otherwise killed someone between 2014 and 2021. The researchers were able to identify the race of 502 civilians affected by these shootings and other incidents. Out of these 500 people, 61% were African-American and 20% were white. Another 17% were Latinx and under 1% were Asian or Pacific Islander. In Champaign, Illinois, seven of the eight people shot at by police during this time frame were black and one was white. Source, Illinois Newsroom. And here's a not-so-fun fact. Every year on the anniversary of the murder of the founder of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, Chairman Fred Hampton, police from across the state shoot up and defile his headstone, according to Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. of the Black Panther Cubs. Chairman Fred Jr. and his mother have often asked the public for financial support to restore and protect the headstone of one of the most prolific and powerful revolutionary leaders this nation has ever seen. They have also continuously asked for support and funds to maintain the Hampton House, the home of Chairman Fred Hampton Sr. For the 11th time in 2022, the Office of the Maine Attorney General is investigating a police shooting. According to police, the most recent incident happened in the town of Mexico. Over the past five years, Maine has seen an increase in the number of police shooting incidents. There were four police shootings in 2018, eight in 2019, five in 2020. In 2021, there were 11 police shootings. Hey, that's what happened in Oakland in 2015 when the Oakland Police Department murdered 11 black men. There are still several open investigations into the main police shootings. Seven of the 11 police shootings that occurred in 2022 so far remain under investigation. There are also seven open investigations into the shootings in 2021. And there are still three open investigations into police shootings from 2019. Since 2019, there have been 35 instances of police shootings in Maine and 21 people have been killed. Source, NBC News Center, Maine. 
A Portland police officer in so-called liberal Oregon shot and wounded a man Friday evening at a busy downtown intersection not far from where President Joe Biden was expected to spend the night during a short campaign visit to the city. Police didn't say what led to the shooting, but described the man as a quote-unquote suspect. That's how they dehumanize us and said he was detained in a criminal investigation. The man was being treated at a hospital for unspecified injuries, but is expected to survive. Portland police and sheriff's deputies have been involved in more than half a dozen shootings in Portland just this year, including four that have been fatal. In January, a Clackamas County Sheriff's deputy shot and killed Wesley Chance of Battleground on Interstate 205. In February, Portland police shot and killed Joel Arevalo in a parking lot of a condominium complex in the Southwest Hills. In one week in July, Portland police officers killed Jonathan Worth and Aaron Stanton in separate shootings in Southeast Portland. Most recently, on October 5th, a Multnomah County Sheriff's deputy shot and injured a 26-year-old woman who, thank Ja, survived. Source, Savannah Edens, The Oregonian. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of October 17th, 2022. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 90s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. A shout-out to producer Jesse Strauss, as well as the team of the Anti-Police Terror Project, who helped curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask in the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>